Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you've got a small business started, if you're selling locally at farmer's markets, then Ready for Retail is the online course for you. From packaging to UPC codes to determining your wholesale price, Ready for Retail has all the information you need to be selling in stores. Details available at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. What you need to know to grow. Well, this is Steve Clear, and I hope you're all having a fine day out there. We have a super show lined up for you today. My guest is Michael Movitz. Michael has spent 30 years in the CPG industry working with conscious and premium products. He is currently the managing partner of the Movitz Group, which is an advisory group of industry experts that help early stage conscious brands raise capital and build go-to-market strategies. Michael is also one of the founding partners of Brandjectory, a one-of-a-kind relationship building platform for early stage CPG founders and investors to help discover each other. And we're going to talk a lot more about that today. Michael's career includes 16 years with spins in various senior level positions, also the natural products division of the J.M. Smucker Company, and he has been spending time as a natural products broker. He also serves as advisor to Rule Breaker Snacks, 12 Tide Seedweed Snacks, Third Rock Essentials, Natural Personal Care, and Fruit Belt Sparkling Tonics. Welcome to the program, Michael. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be with you. So coming from, again, you've, you've walked a lot of sides of the street, right? So broker and client side for a larger CPG, James Smucker, and then, of course, at Spins. And people, not everyone may be familiar with Spins, but you can tell us a little bit about that. But that's the sort of data analysis side of the business. And uh, so how did your trajectory go? How did, how did you manage that career path? Sure. Well, you know, for me, I actually got started because of my own uh, health crisis uh, back in the mid 80s when I was in college. I was on the rowing team and uh, I was um, uh, I had a diet that was as clean as could be to be at peak performance. And after the season was over my freshman year, I uh, went back to eating uh, regular junk food and, you know, regular 19-year-old diet. And I got sick as a dog and literally could not move. I was so congested in my whole body. I was stuck in bed for two days. And it was a revelation about the connection between um, healthy eating and healthy living and, and, you know, how you felt. And I never looked back. Um, It was at that point that uh, I realized and knew that – food was not just going to be a philosophy, but I had to put everything of myself into it and it became a career and a hobby and a passion. So after I graduated college, I went to work for a little mom and pop natural food store um, in the, uh, <laughs> near, near my home. Yeah, it was just stock and shelves. You know, I just wanted to be around the, the healthy food industry. And, and, and believe me, back in the um, early, uh, back in the eighties, uh, you know, natural products, organic products was uh, a, a universe of a bunch of pale, thin people eating nuts, twigs, twigs and berries. You know, I mean, there was not a lot of um, mainstreamization as uh, as there is right now. But uh, I was happy to be a part of that that niche. And um, so anyway, so I worked at the store and, um, you know, the broker reps would come in and I would just start chatting with them. And um, one day, you know, one of them said, hey, we've got an opening if you're interested. And so I went to go work for the broker and I was there was a sales rep representing uh, dozens of brands out in in the Midwest and um, one of the brands happened to be uh, the RW Knutson company uh, which was a uh, the natural under the natural division of Smuckers at the time and so uh, and and it just naturally evolved that uh, you know I I, um, ended up taking a job with with Smuckers um, well, with, with Knutson, actually. And, um, you know, that I was there for three and a half years at Smuckers, um, learning really uh, about, um, and, and Smuckers was one of the very first uh, yeah. CPG companies to, to get involved in this industry. But that had a lot to do with their values. You know, they were still a, they were a public company, but still family run. run. Um, you know, the Smucker brothers still led the company. I, um, met with them at, at, at uh, company conferences and, and they were totally salt of the earth people, just the kind of people that, 
you would think would be involved in, in a business like, uh, you know, a natural juice company. And um, so over, over time, um, you know, we, we started buying spins data and um, being the analytical uh, mind that I was, I took a lot of interest in it. And it kind of got to the point where the folks at, at the home office said, keep Michael away from the data. Um, he, he's too dangerous and asking too many questions <laughs> with uh, what he's seeing there. So, um, yeah. uh, so I, I met uh, the founder of Spins. I don't recall how, but um, there was an opening at Spins. And so um, I interviewed for it and it was between myself and one other person. And that other person happened to be Tony Olson, who was working with Adwala Juices at the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Tony got the nod for the job, but I really wanted to work at Spins. And so um, I kept in touch with Tony over over the following 12 months. And um, the company received uh, some funding and we were and, and it was going to be expanding. And so Tony reached out and said, you know, we're, we're hiring and and, uh, you know, this would be a great time. So uh, I transitioned over to Spins and uh, I was there for 16 years. You know, at the time when I joined in 2000, uh, we were uh, 25 employees. And when I left uh, at the end of 2015, we were almost at 200. Um, and it was, it was a fascinating environment because we were um, collecting information and working and supporting uh, natural product retailers, uh, working with, at the time it was Nielsen, right. uh, and, um, and being able to measure the natural products side of the business on the grocery side. Um, and I was working with, with brands, both uh, natural product brands, as well as conventional CBG companies that were interested in the space. Um, and so I spent time doing sales, um, sales operations. Uh, I became the face of the company. I was doing thought leadership and conference presentations. Uh, I, I was uh, oversaw business development, working with our strategic partners that included um, brokers, retailers, uh, uh, distributors, uh, our Nielsen and IRI partnerships. And, um, you know, I was getting exposure to a lot of different elements of the industry. And it was just, it, it was such a fantastic learning experience. And it and allowed me to keep a big picture view on, on um, not just, you know, what, how data was utilized, but also, you know, the macro trends that were, that were occurring. And um, so it was really interesting in the early 2010s, um, that you may recall that there were uh, stories in the news about um, CPG companies starting to see their shares eroding uh, in the marketplace. And at the time, I was working with our financial institution clients, and um, I was getting unsolicited inbound uh, calls from, from these uh, investment banks and, and institutional uh, equity companies that were tracking these big CPGs looking for data to understand what was happening in the marketplace to understand uh, and understand, you know, what was happening to their business and, and where was it going? And right. so I kind of had a front row seat to the shift uh, that was starting to occur uh, really now, just about 10 years ago um, where uh, the natural products industry was coming into its own. It was emerging uh, into a more mainstream um, facing business. And it had a lot to do with, um, you know, millennials becoming um, uh, more of on the consumer front as opposed to, you know, when they were younger and, and their parents yep. were, were making decisions. And um, so as I started to work with these financial folks and seeing how things were changing on the landscape in, entirely, it, it, it highlighted for me the opportunity that early stage companies had to make a really big difference. Of course, I, I knew that. That's why I got involved in the industry in the first place from a philosophical standpoint, but, for, you know, wanting to have an impact on the food system. But here I was seeing, you know, the real uh, rubber hitting the road and seeing these monolithic multi-billion dollar companies um, <laughs> scrambling to try to figure out how to how to innovate and adapt um, like these startups were, were forcing them to do in addressing market demand. So um, there were a number of things that were occurring in my personal life and professionally at the time that all just kind of converged uh, at the uh, end of 2015 for me to say, you know what, it's, it's time for my next chapter. And, um, and it was very clear what that was. And that was supporting the emerging uh, companies uh, with their financial and capital raise uh, needs. Uh, and part of that process also included having uh, an appropriate go-to-market strategy and business strategy. And so through my 
you know, previous 25 years to that point, um, having been at a manufacturer and a broker and a retailer and working with hundreds of companies that spins, um, I, I felt like, uh, you know, I, it was a natural evolution and, and I finally had an opportunity to, um, to serve uh, in the capacity where I could support founders um, on a strategic and capital side to help their businesses become, you know, the transformative companies that they wanted them to be. And, and of course, in, in, in that same period of time, um, I was spending a lot of time working with the larger companies watching exactly what you were watching, except through IRI and Nielsen data, mm-hmm. as, to, as to where stuff was, well, where is this stuff going? And, and looking at all of a sudden, all right, shifts from traditional grocery to specialty, um, well, and actually both sides to specialty. And then also, of course, to that point to mass and, and discount was still a, a huge drain. But finding those things and saying, okay, so uh, we, we get up, we do a big slideshow and the slideshow says, well, well, what our, what our you know, customers really want is an all natural dog food. And it's like, really? Okay, well, we got we got to work on that. So we so so they create Beneful, and Bene, this is Purine, of course, and, and Beneful is created, right? And then a year after the launch of Beneful, data comes back goes, no, it's 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 not natural enough. So, mm. Wait a minute, and so they introduced you know one hundred percent natural, and then you know I don't know how far you can go past one hundred percent, but yeah, there was that whole there was a whole transition, Michael, that was. Um, I kind of started a little bit like an avalanche, right? Which is it, mm-hmm. it, it, it started out pretty small and pretty focused. And you're right. You went from Birkenstocks wearing people who were eating, you know, um, whatever to all of a sudden that mainstreaming and particularly as younger people came into the marketplace where they were beginning to have the families of their own and they start reading labels and they start going through, you know, all, all these things. I'm, I'm finding really curious about that is, is you know, we, we, when I say we, I'm talking here for the larger CPG people that, that my agency worked with, is, you know, we had fair warning, right? It, it wasn't like we weren't doing consumer research during this period of time. It wasn't like we couldn't sit and watch where this stuff was going, but the ability to react and then the ability to get it right and to make it authentic just seemed a huge challenge that most companies fail because they didn't have like a Knudsen background like you had at Smuckers, right? There was nobody in-house that was carrying the torch for this kind of thing. Um, you know, we were talking about driving efficiencies. That's what the day was spent doing, not, you know, efficiency right. in spending, efficiency in right. production, efficiency, and which is kind of what the industry built on. So, you know, I, a lot of them were taken by surprise. A lot of them tried. I mean, I, I, I know some organic law. I was involved in a couple of different different category organic launches that were just disasters. I mean, oh my God. Um, but they were trying to be, you know, they were trying to catch a trend and they were, weren't really on trend. And I think that that was noticed by, you know, noticed by the consumer, you know, going forward. You can't, you can't fool all the people all the time. And you can also spend a lot of money on advertising and it doesn't necessarily gain you, gain you trial. So, mm-hmm. or, or repeat for that matter. So, yeah. so you decided to go on your own, hang up your own shingle and, yep. right. So, yep. and, and how did you start with that? Did you have some people that you wanted, that you knew you wanted to work with or passionate about, or did you just decide one day, Hey, I'm done here. I, I need to take off the tie. Well, you know, it was definitely a process. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm a very loyal person. And so um, I was so embedded and loyal embedded at spins and loyal to the company that um, it took a couple of years for me to extract myself from the mindset of ever being anywhere else. Um, but, you know, you go through that process and you eventually emerge and, uh, with, you know, a fresh set of eyes. And um, I had, I had a lot of help along the way. Um, you know, I started reading a number of different uh, kinds of thinkers and uh, was getting I had, you know, professional help uh, from a, a business coach as well as from a therapist and, you know, just trying to process a lot of things that are, are part of us that make us human. And, um, you know, I don't think we could ignore that, that, you know, anytime it, there, there's a lot of great stories about people in business that are successful that we all look up to, but, you know, there's still a human being behind that who has needs, wants, desires, challenges, et cetera. And, um, 
so for me, it was the same thing. So, um, you know, some, some of, I, I'm, I'm really actually happy to be able to share that, you know, some of the, the biggest um, learnings and changes and transformations that I went through were thanks to some very well-known um, folks like Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer and, um, uh, and uh, I was going to say Hicks. Um, I'm drawing a um, drawing a complete blank on her first name right now, but um, Abraham Hicks and his wife. And I'm sorry, I cannot think of her name at the moment. But um, uh, so, there, you know, there, there are some incredible um, ways about basically how you think is what you manifest. And so if you focus on the wrong things, you're going to manifest those things into your life. So anyways, I'm, I'm going a little bit off track, um, but, you know, the, the idea was that, um, that... That's okay. I I meditated with Deepak this morning. That's just... Oh, there you go. <clears throat> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. So, um, you know, th that became a much... Uh, becoming more self-aware and um, conscious and mindful um, was a big part uh, of the process to being able to become and move into my own... Um, uh, you know, leadership position and, and, and of my own business. And what's ironic is that uh, when I went to school, I graduated with a degree in entrepreneurship, which back in the mid eighties was almost unheard of. And um, uh, it was 25 years of working for other people before I started my own company. But <clears throat> I look at it as um, all about a learning experience and the, and the path that we're on. Um, and it's, and when you're conscious and aware of, you know, how one thing leads to another, you know, there's no accidents that happen. And if, and if you think about it the right way, it's, it's really fascinating to, to observe your own story. Um, so as, as, uh, as I work through that process and I realize, you know what, this is what I need to do in terms of helping early stage entrepreneurs. Um, I, I uh, certainly have had uh, decades of experience in the industry where I have uh, lots of lots, lots and lots of connections and a big network. And so I certainly was able to, uh, look to that network as I started my own business. Um, but that doesn't, there's, there's not a magic uh, um, pill or a magic potion there that, you know, suddenly you just turn on, uh, turn on the business because I had to figure out and define for myself, what was my own story? What was my position, my proposition, my, um, the value I was going to bring? What was I going to deliver? How was I going to help? What was the model? What was the structure? Um, and so, you know, that takes a little bit of time to put together. Of course, I was thinking about those things before I, before I put out the shingle, but, um, you know, it's, it's, you still have to, um, do business development and, and, uh, and, and secure clients. And so, uh, and, and it was a learning experience as I went, but what's really, so, so just very quickly about the Mobitz group, you know, we're, we're, uh, a strategic advisory. Um, I oversee the group and then the folks that I work with, they're about, it's about a half a dozen industry experts who are all um, working with me on a project and contract and a contractor basis. Um, and those expertises uh, span uh, finance and operations, uh, consumer and shopper uh, targeting, brand positioning, uh, channel strategy, data analytics, um, corporate social responsibility. And so when, when, a, when a brand needs something else that might be more legal or e-commerce or branding or digital marketing, you know, we have plenty of folks that we're happy to make referrals to. Um, but, you know, our objective is to work with companies that are typically under 5 million in sales. Could, right. be zero, could be zero revenue, but, you know, we've worked with some really large companies, 40, $50 million in sales and even $200 million in sales. Um, and we'll work, uh, you know, smaller company, I'll, I'll focus, you know, um, on, on the smaller company idea, but, you know, we'll, we'll, on the go to market side, it's about business plans, um, brand positioning, uh, pricing, uh, consumer strategy, channel strategy, omni-channel strategy, um, uh, uh, promotion, uh, evaluation, um, and, you know, build, uh, doing sales forecasting and, and building, uh, retail sales presentations. So, um, those are those are part of the uh, the revenue building side or the the brand the um, go to market side, and then on the side of preparing to raise capital, we focus in three areas: um, financial models, investor pitch presentations, and uh, net, uh, network introductions. Um, and 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 this is also through the lens of an investor. Um, and so um, you know, so we're we're trying to help bring. Um, 
a, uh, a discipline and uh, a grounding in uh, facts um, into a strategy. So we're data informed, but um, there's a lot of nuances and, um, and, and um, subjective thinking uh, about understanding the marketplace. And so, you know, we'll, we'll do a category review uh, to understand what the data says, but then we need to look at how the, how the client is positioned from a brand perspective, from a proposition perspective, you know, what, what's the white space opportunity and how do they best bring themselves uh, to market for the objective that they're trying to achieve. In, in that space, and, you know, we're talking zero, zero to 5 million here, obviously, is um, you're working primarily with founders at that point. Um, people putting maybe together their team. Is, is there a commonality amongst the successful folks that you've worked with that, you know, you could put your finger on and say, you know, this is one of the things that you, you kind of, or I see that you kind of have to have in order to, to really be successful? You know, I think it's, it, it, it's generally one of two things. Um, of course, there's the obvious, you know, somebody who has, this is not their first rodeo, they've been in the, they have the experience, whether they've started a business in the food space, or they've worked at a food company, or they've, you know, done something similar. Um, or, um, I see a lot of successful teams uh, and founders, um, based on their passion and grit. And um, there's, yeah. there's some sort of gravitas about, you know, they, they, they just understand that they're going to get it done. Um, and they may not understand when they start out, they may not understand, um, you know, financial modeling, or they may not understand all the ins and outs of digital marketing. But, um, you know, there's just this um, put your head down and, and uh, get, get to it type of attitude and keep your eye on the ball in terms of the ultimate vision. And, you know, of course, there's only so much time in a day and there's only so much that we can get done, but knowing, having a strong sense of what that strategy is and um, having surrounding yourself with the people that can help you achieve it uh, is the key. And so, you know, there's lots of great companies that have been started because there was some sort of um, health issue or somebody recognized the gap in the market because they couldn't satisfy their own need uh, and, or, you know, they were, cooking in the kitchen and, and develop their own uh, product. And um, there's lots of great companies that start that way, but it, you know, it, it depends on how big the founder wants it to be. Um, if, if you want it yeah. to be a hobby, then, right. you know, you'll, you'll hit a ceiling, but uh, you know, if you really want to go big, then um, having, if you don't have the experience yourself, having people around you, whether it's your own, uh, business partners or advisors, um, s s people that have, um, you know, can guide, guide you with experience and, um, uh, and know how those, you know, that's crucial um, because otherwise you're putting your own time and money at risk, um, you know, to do something where, you know, if you're, if you're not sure about how to go about it, uh, find somebody that can help you to make it happen. But ultimately, it's a matter of what do you want to accomplish. And I think that's so important when you start out is um, you've got to have the end goal in mind to know what you're working towards. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, it, 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 and that's one of the first, you know, in interview process with a new client or whatever that, you know, that I'm working with. That's the first question I ask this down and say, you know, folks, you know, maybe it's the founder, maybe it's the husband and wife team, maybe it's a small team together. And it's like, okay, what's the exit strategy? What, what are yep. we talking about? And say, so, well, yep. we, we want to do this. We want to, you know, we want to sell to General Mills. Okay, fine. That's an exit strategy, not necessarily one that you're going to be able to accomplish, but, but, but I want to know what you want to do with it. Because if it's, hey, I'm going to see how it goes and ride along and whatever else, it's probably not going to go well mm -hmm. you know, going forward. Yep. Yeah. And, if, and, and I think the other, the other benefit to having a clear picture of what do you, what do you, what do you want the outcome to be? is okay, like you just said, I, you know, I want to be acquired by General Mills. That's great. So in order for General Mills to acquire you, they're going to expect X, Y, and Z to be the case. Exactly. And if you want to build to that, these are the uh, resources, uh, human resources, uh, capital resources, um, et cetera, that are going to be required um, to get there. 
and the shorter time frame you make it, the more expensive it's going to be. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I, I think a number of, a number of the folks that, you know, I've talked with over the years from, you know, Expo and, and, you know, maybe we only see each other once a year or whatever, but I watch, I watch them and maybe I buy their products or whatever is, you know, people with a sense of not only passion, but the sense of purpose. Um, a lot of people who have, and they don't have to have, I'm not saying that, but a, a mission base, if you will, um, you know, certainly helps ride over a lot of the, uh, the, the rough spots that are going to come up in the road. And, um, and then there's always the aspect of, you know, people who don't, for whatever reason, get to a certain point and say, I don't want to commit any more my personal time or money or whatever into this. I can't, I can't do it. And, you know, and that's okay too, right? It's, it's fine. Um, we all want them to be successes. We all want to be working with, you know, companies that are going somewhere, but we also know that a lot of the folks we work with don't make it. It's a tough business. It's just, it, you know, and it's not getting any less tough with everything else that's going on in the world. So mm-hmm. um, one of the things, Michael, that, you know, uh, critical to that whole process um, in, in you and I have, have talked about this, of course, and that is the whole thing of capital and funding. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Brangectory and sort of the, 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 ideation. Uh, we talk about what it does, whatever, but this, this idea that of all the different things you've listed, um, the ability to access capital during your growth is the, I, th- I think the numero uno, I don't think there's anything more you can have, you know, you can have a great on fire product. You can have all the right messaging. You can be, you know, whatever, but if you do not have access to capital when you need it, growth is, almost impossible. So talk to us about how that got started and what it is, in fact, in more detail. Sure. Well, you know, from, from almost day one, when I started talking to founders uh, about their needs and challenges, um, so many of them said, I need to raise capital and I don't know where to find investors. I don't know who's a good fit. I don't know how to keep them up to date. I don't uh, up to date. I don't know what kind of information they're looking for. Um, and it was consistent, ubiquitous. Um, it was to a T. Every founder was saying the exact same thing. Right. What was fascinating is that when I would talk with investors, they would actually have the exact same kind of challenges uh, from their perspective. How do I find brands that are looking for a partner and looking for capital that are a good fit, that are ready for us? Um, and how, and if they're not ready for us, you know, can I? Can I somehow get them to keep me updated uh, and communicate with me over time so that I can be there for them when they're ready? And so I would make introductions by, by email um, whenever I could, uh, just, just to try to support both of, both of the sides of that equation. Um, but I knew that there had to be a more efficient and, and um, bigger impact uh, method, uh, a way to do this. So I started thinking about um, how this could play out. And um, at the same time, I was reading a blog from uh, an investor at a family office in Phoenix. Uh, his name is Tom Malengo of the Litchfield Fund. And um, so I reached out to him just to, you know, strike up a conversation as an industry contact and somebody who, you know, sounded like was of great interest to me. And um, we got to talking and realized we both wanted to solve this issue. He from an investor side and, and me from, of course, both sides, but primarily from the founder side. And um, so we started iterating on different ideas. And um, uh, while we were going through, this was 2017, 2016, 2017, while we were going through um, our different um, possibilities, um, he got an outreach from Jeff Grog of JPG Resources, which is an innovation and commercialization firm out of Michigan. And and Jeff actually approached uh, Tom and, and was talking about some of the same types of of issues and, and needs as it related to helping uh, their clients uh, find investors. Um, and so th- the three of us got together and realized, you know what, this, this is clearly an issue that the industry has that, that uh, needs to be solved. And so we were all in, we invested our own money. Uh, we came up with a prototype in uh, 2018 and did, did a bunch of testing. Um, and in 2019, we, uh, we had it coded and built. 
uh, we went to uh, a beta stage in January of 2020. And we were going to launch uh, formally in the summer of 2020. And then uh, COVID hit and it accelerated the need for um, investors and brands to, to find each other because suddenly there were no more uh, conferences, no more trade no. shows, no more events where, where no. you know, folks would normally meet. So, right. so we, uh, we launched in the middle of May. And um, so as of, you know, as of now, we're, we're just about at 100 or so days. Um, and, uh, you know, we've gotten overwhelmingly positive feedback. Um, but, you know, we're in the process of building our user base. We have, you know, some very grand visions um, about uh, where, where this can go and how this could help. But really, our, our ultimate goal is to serve the community of, of brand founders and investors and to try to bring efficiency and uh, uh, more productivity and effectiveness to that process of discovery, connection, uh, information exchange, and um, building a relationship on the path to that partnership. And this is done through a platform where, um, you know, they can meet each other or whatever. And then obviously there's a lot of confidential information going around, share that stuff, whatever. How, how does that work? The platform is very much like a combination of social media and a dating site. So um, uh, a brand will build a profile um, that is also constructed in a way that is um, central to the investor and, and investment process. So I, I actually want to step back for one second just to explain what I mean by that. Um, a, anytime a brand and an investor are engaged in a conversation about, you know, looking towards a partnership, the brand is attempting to tell their story. Um, there's certain metrics uh, and elements of the business that an investor is specifically interested in that is not, has nothing to do with how the brand is talking to consumers right. or how the brand is talking to the trade. And so um, uh, if you think about it, social media, in, uh, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, are all uh, consumer messaging by the brand uh, for the brand to tell its story. And um, uh, Range Me and trade shows are all for the brand to be able to tell their story to the trade. And LinkedIn is for the founder to be able to present himself or herself to their network uh, and, you know, develop a professional um, uh, story, so to speak. But there's no tool out there for that to happen to investors. And investors are a different kind of conversation uh, than any of those others that I just mentioned. Yeah. And so the profile is specifically constructed um, for an investor um, process or capital raise process. Um, and then uh, there are ways for um, the brand to um, moderate or, or uh, monitor. There are ways for the brand to um, decide who gets access to their most privileged information. And so the profile itself, you want to be able to tell your, your best, you want to put your best foot forward, tell your best story again through the lens of how, of the things that an investor wants to hear about, but it doesn't have to be confidential information. Um, if you think about it, any uh, brand can look at another brand and learn about them by being, uh, because they're in the store, because they're online, because they have sure. their own website. Yep. Um, and so there are certain elements about their positioning and their strategy that can still be um, discussed without having to reveal anything confidential until you are ready to get into that in, uh, conversation with the investor. And by the way, Brandjectory is also set up so that brands cannot see other brand profiles. Um, there is definitely a firewall there so that um, it is strictly for that investor to brand uh, dialogue. Okay. Um, and so, so the, um, so the key, so you have your profile, but then the key thing then, is about sharing updates and sharing your updates on your growth story. So if uh, from the social media aspect of the site, there's um, the ability for a founder to talk about things that have been happening in their business, new distribution, new products being introduced, new hires, um, learning some marketing campaigns, um, nutritional profile uh, highlights, et cetera, et cetera all things that um, bring color and context to uh, an investor's understanding of the business that are not going to be perceived just by looking at uh, a financial spreadsheet P&L or even a, a pitch presentation. And so all of those updates uh, cumulatively over time help to tell the story about the brand um, that provides the investor 
the understanding of the business and the opportunity that's there. And so the, um, as the brand is posting these updates, um, investors can be following the brand and getting those updates in their feed automatically in real time. Um, and then when they're ready, the investor can then reach out and ask for a connection. Um, when the investor requests a connection, the brand gets to review um, everything and anything about the investor on the site, make an informed decision about whether or not they want to pursue uh, a, um, a relationship with that investor. Um, and assuming that they do, then once they're connected, it gives um, the brand and the founder um, the opportunity uh, to review and share documents um, so that the investor can learn a little bit more through business plans or pitch decks or financials or what have you. Right. Yeah. Um, and it all, there's also a messaging and video conference uh, module on the platform so that they can communicate with each other, um, not just from posts, but, you know, right, and not just uh, on emails outside the platform, but, you know, in chat messages and, and video calls as well. So, so Michael, I, I know that there's a hundred founders out there that are going, what, what, wait, I can, I can do this. I can, I, you know, this, this sounds like a great idea. How do they find out more information about Brandjectory? Uh, www.brandjectory.com. Um, it is uh, one thing that I also mentioned as well is that um, uh, there are no transactions that occur on the system. We are strictly about the relationship building process. We're, we're about everything that happens before the transaction. There's all kinds of tools and other apps and sites out there that assist with um, the data room and the analytics and the transaction parts. But, we're, but there's no tools out there for the relationship piece, and that's, that's where Brandjectory fits. And so um, we don't take any commissions or are not involved in any transactions whatsoever. It's a simple subscription model. Um, it's a, it's a, a small monthly fee for, um, for each of the brand and the investor. Um, and, and we made it that way because we wanted to lower the, the barriers and lower the hurdles so that um, as many people could join us as possible. And the cost uh, uh, over the course of a year uh, at 350 a year for a brand is still a fraction of the cost of what it might be to attend a conference or a trade show at, where you might be able to meet a handful oh. of folks. And here we've got a captive audience uh, as well. We, we, we spent that on our change fees and return fees for Expo. <laughs> so. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was great. And in, yeah, I was very excited when, um, you know, I first became aware of, of the platform and what you were doing because it was something that's like, wow, you know, I wish I'd thought of that. And it's something that the, the need was so, uh, so much common on both sides. It was like, okay, this isn't like I'm going to win and try to sell an investor that, Hey, you need to get on this thing to, no, no, they're, they're looking for this stuff. And of course, founders and, and teams for startups are doing the same thing. So I think it's, it's awesome. And, um, you know, really people should look into it. If you, if you're not looking for money, you should be. And if you are looking for money, you should be looking into, you know, certainly into brand trajectory. Um, how did you, when you, when you did, you guys were concocting this, how, how did you start out? How did you approach, uh, I mean, I, I can see founders, it's pretty easy, right? I, I, I need to raise some funds. How'd you approach investors with this idea? And, and did they, you know, did you get any kind of hesitancy or did you get pretty much a open arms? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much an open arms across the board. Um, but there's, there's a bit of a difference in um, how quickly uh, investors versus brands tend to move. Um, <laughs> and so uh, with investors, it takes a little bit more time, a little bit more um, sh information sharing um, and, you know, trying to help them uh, understand the different um, elements of, of the platform that is uh, that are specifically designed uh, for their benefit um, because there are a lot of other uh, sites and tools out there that are about um, pitch deck sharing or crowdfunding sites and they're all public um, or virtually public. Um, they also tend to be uh, technical or um, sorry tech focused um, and right. so th th those are two key elements about Brandjectory that are also different. One is that it is a closed system. So you, you do need to subscribe. And as an investor, um, you have the choice. You can set your privacy settings to be, um, have your full um, uh, information or your full uh, profile uh, disclosed up front, or you can keep it anonymous until you're ready to connect with, with the founder and then, 
and then you reveal yourself, so to speak. So, because we, we, we heard from lots and lots of investors that, you know, there are certain parts of the process that they wanted to be in control of um, and in order for it to work for them. And I think that, that you know, that was a, a big learning for us as well is that um, we want to be able to help both sides and both sides have uh, needs. And so we're trying to be as accommodating as possible to both in a way that, that works for both. Um, and so, you know, the, we feel like, you know, there's a lot of, of um, good balance on the system, but of course, we're just getting started and we are absolutely open and, and desire feedback and requests for, uh, for improvements. Right. We can, we can, there are changes that we, we can make if we, if we need to, but, but Mike, I'll certainly also appreciate that you guys accelerated um, the launch as well, because certainly this is a time of, of, uh, you know, extreme pressure for so many of the emerging brands out there and, you know, whether it's supply chain problems or can't do any retailer meetings or whatever it is, um, certainly a number of the avenues that were for, that we were pursuing for our normal uh, access to capital uh, were closed to us as of the start of the pandemic and no signs of reopening at this point. So, um, you know, for those things, at least, um, we know we'll see what happens. So great that you guys decided to do that and, you know, open it up a little, a little early. Um, what's the rest of the effect, Michael, you've seen on COVID have on, on the folks you're working with? You know, uh, although in the beginning, uh, everybody took a pause and by everybody, I mean, everybody, um, but in particular investors, you know, there was lots of talk about how investors were not investing and, and particularly on the angel side, when the stock market um, declined so quickly uh, and so much, um, you know, a lot of angel investors who rely on the stock market for their um, capital yeah. um, had to had to put themselves on pause. Um, but you know, the stock market has uh, returned now to uh, strong levels, and um, I, I, there's lots of investments going on. Um, and I'll and I'll talk about what that means in a second, but. Um, you know, if you look at if you look at uh, any of the um, news sources, uh, any of the weekly recaps on transactions or deals that are happening, yep. every single week, even during the pandemic, there were still deals that were getting done. And the reason why they were getting done was because an investor will always invest in a business that is a good business. Um, and certainly, the current times, even you know, and I'm talking about now that we're six months out from you know, from the worst part of it when it first began in, in uh, March. Yep. But, um, uh, you know, an investor will always invest in a good business, but there is a, quite a bit more uh, scrutiny and um, uh, in, uh, investigation and diligence into the brand's opportunity now because there's still uncertainty in the market, right? Uh, six, two, three, four, five months ago, um, we looked at the shifts and changes that were occurring in consumer behavior and shopping behavior and eating habits, et cetera, as uncertainty. And no one, no one could say, you know, how long it would last or what would the permanent uh, state be? And as we, as we you know, continue on through this, uh, the pandemic, um, there are things that are starting to become a little bit more clear uh, in terms of how things have probably shifted permanently. And so there's uh, a little bit more interest on the part of the investors to um, still look at good businesses, but within the context of, of the new world order and, and how things are, are uh, what the landscape looks like today. So as long as, um, you know, a founder uh, has the right fundamentals um, and there's a, and I actually have a document that I'm happy to share with your listeners about um, the things that they need to consider in terms of preparing to raise, uh, as well as uh, about 17 or 18 different criteria that an investor will typically consider uh, for investment. You know, a lot of those things have not changed. They're, they're the same now as they were years ago, but yeah. the difference is the context and the environment that we're in. So there's, there's a little bit more um, uh, uh, investor friendly, terms that uh, might be uh, coming, <laughs> you know, coming out through the process. Yeah. And that, our friend, our friend Egan calls that the uh, COVID premium, right? That's the yeah, COVID right, yeah. right, exactly. It's and there. it's an awesome guy. So, um, yeah, so I mean, those, so investments are still getting done. And I think the key is, is, um, you know, a founder has to keep moving forward um, because if you're not growing, you're stagnating or declining. And so um, if, 
there may be uh, less than ideal um, terms or, you know, less than ideal um, arrangements right now that, that, um, you know, are getting deals that are getting done. But if it's a bad deal, don't take it. There, you know, there's a bad deal is still a bad deal. doesn't matter what. Um, but, uh, you know, the key is, is that there are investments that are still happening. Investors are still very interested in, in uh, meeting founders and building relationships and learning about businesses and, you know, keeping the ball going forward on that front. So, um, Michael, the charter document you were referring to earlier, is that something we can do a link to or can I include it in the mailing and post it on the website and all that good stuff? Absolutely. Okay. So, we'll, we will do that. Um, one of the things that, that uh, um, we do on the program, Michael, is we, we torture everybody a little bit um, for, <laughs> for being so good to show up and stuff. But uh, given your career, both breadth and depth, um, we wanted to ask you about basically a major challenge that you had at some point in time, and it can be recently, it can be back. It doesn't matter. Learning is, is all valuable. Um, a major challenge in how you overcame that. You got something you can. Yeah. Um, I, I would, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be vulnerable here and, and, and share um, because I think it's important for, for people to hear and, and to learn. Um, you know, when I started my consulting business, um, I had great aspirations and, and great visions and thought, you know, everything would be as easy as pie because I had, you know, all this experience and a great network and, and um, uh, you know, we would just be going forward and up and up and up. But, you know, I, I soon came to find that the consulting business is not, um, it depends on your model, but, uh, you know, there, it ebbs and flows. And so <clears throat> in particular with my model being project-based, um, you know, we would work with a client for a couple of months and then the project would end and, you know, we would move, we would move on. Um, and we would have, you know, multiple clients at a time. And then there would be periods where we might not have more than one or sometimes, you know, there were yeah. brief periods when, when there were none. And so, um, you know, it was, it, it's the same thing for even when, you know, you're, you're um, running a brand, you know, there are, are ups and downs and there's days when it seems like, you know, uh, things couldn't be better. And then there's days when there's just one fire after another. And so what I learned from, from those uh, uh, more challenging times is I, I alluded to it before, it's about frame of mind. And so <clears throat> one of the key things, a number of key things that, that I learned is, um, is being open to all possibilities. And so it's so important to have a mindset of abundance rather than a mindset of scarcity. Um, and to remind yourself of the, all of the um, blessings and good things in our life today, right now, in the present moment. Um, and our thoughts about the future are just that, they're, they're thoughts. And so we can think about them from a standpoint of fear and scarcity, or we could think about them from uh, a standpoint of being completely open and open to all possibilities to allow our vision to come into play. Um, one of the one of the best twenty minutes that I think anybody could spend is um, watching a, a TED talk from Simon Sinek called about the Golden Circle. Um, and he what he does he talks about the the why the the how and the what. And it's such a great way to frame um, anything, whether it's business or whether it's our lives. And once you have um, an idea of why you exist and what our, um, our goal is, um, and what are, why, why we want to pursue this or why this has to happen. Um, you don't always know how it's going to happen, but um, I learned a lot about being able to um, uh, let the universe take over. That doesn't mean sitting on the couch and eating a bag of chips and saying, hey, no, it's just no. going to happen. Right. You know, you, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a huge element of co-creation in our work, in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, so we have to take action. We have to move forward. We have to do the things that are part of the process. But being able to declare what it is um, that, that you ultimately want to achieve um, from a purpose standpoint, not necessarily from a materialistic standpoint or from a, a form standpoint, so to speak. Right. But to, to internalize what is the feeling that I'm going to have when X happens and allow that to get deep, deep inside 
and allow it to take shape in, in our lives. And we don't know how, we don't know when, um, but the, the key is, is that it becomes our internalization and our thought process and our focus. And we manifest those feelings and those things that we let deep into our, into our souls. And, um, and it comes from, and it happens, it manifests whatever we think about. And even if, and, and, and I'll just say too, that even if we say, well, I don't want X, Y, Z to happen, we've just put attention on the thing that we don't want to happen. And it works the same way. <laughs> yes. Um, we have to focus on what we do want to happen. And, um, and, and, and it's amazing how, how the universe can, can bring things together to, to make that happen. Yeah. And that's, that's a great, great counsel, Michael. Absolutely. And it's, it's the idea of the difference, I think, between I want the feeling of being out on the open water. It's not, I want a princess yacht. Yeah, exactly. Those, exactly. those things. And so, so you may be out on the open water in a way that you could not have imagined, but you're experiencing that, that sensation and that feeling. Um, and it may be in a way that, uh, you know, you couldn't have conceived of before and, and, you know, your path to it. Um, you know, you look back on it and go, wow, who knew that meeting that person to meet that person, to meet that person, to meet that person led to this was going to, was going to happen. Well, Hey, I really appreciate Michael, you taking the time to, to be with us today and to discuss Brandjectory. And by the way, it's www.brandjectory.com. And it will be of course in the mailings in case you're having trouble spelling Brandjectory, but, uh, We'll get there and something for anybody to look into who's in, involved in, um, you know, in fundraising or considering fundraising because it's, a, it, it's just a great platform and, and Michael and his team have done, I think, a really good job and, a real, and an awesome service to, you know, helping out people that, you know, Michael, you and I work with every day and, and we know what they go through and, you know, we want to do that. So thanks so much and appreciate you being here and we'd like to have you come back and talk at some time a little further down the road about some of the stuff that's been doing and how Brandjectory is, you know, taking off. Thank you. That would, I would be pleasure. That would be my honor and pleasure. And, and thank you for the serve for how you serve the industry and how you're helping uh, founders uh, achieve their accomplishments as well. And as always, it's a lot of fun. So we like that part too. So I want to thank to out to all of you, by the way, for joining us on the podcast today. We need an audience too, always. This podcast brought to you by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of next level brands and providers of courses, workshops, webinars, group, and one-on-one -on -one coaching for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know more, check out the details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. What you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.